0: Hi everybody, thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I am a yoga teacher with many years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is to show you how to get confident, speak clearly, feel authentic, grow your impact, earn your worth, and build a community. For years, I've been working with teachers in my signature program, the Yoga Anatomy Blueprint Learning Program, and I've seen so many teachers transform, and I can help you get there too. On the podcast, you'll hear anatomy lessons, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. In addition to the podcast, don't forget to also follow me on Instagram and TikTok for daily videos on teaching topics. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 223. So I am recording this on January 19th, 2023. I hope your new year is going just swimmingly so far. And I'm excited for this episode as I always am. Although today I'm excited for a special reason and that's because I have a special guest. And I'm gonna tell you about that guest in a moment. I just wanna quickly uh, share something with you. And that is, I just recorded a short video all about how to kick imposter syndrome to the curb. And the reason I created this is because one of the teachers in my program had the courage to send me an email to say, I love the program. I love watching the videos. I love meeting with you. I just have this imposter syndrome that I can't kick. Do you have any ideas? And I thought, I hear this so many times from teachers. I'm going to make a video, not just for her, but one that I can share with you too. So if you're feeling any of this imposter syndrome, syndrome, I want you to send me a DM on Instagram or email me to karen at barebonesyoga.com and just say, I want the video on kicking imposter syndrome, and I will send you the Zoom link. Okay, so for today's episode, we have a special guest. Her name is Meredith Walinski, and Meredith is a health and wellness coach, and her business is called Inner Compass Health. So you can find her on Instagram at inner compass health. And in today's episode, we talk about how you can have more control, how you can take back control, not only of your health, but really of your life, because let's face it if you're not healthy, it really can be a challenge to how you live in so many different ways. And Meredith has a really amazing story about how she took back control from a life that was really not serving her. And the universe was giving her her body was giving her a lot of messages to say something is not right here. And her personal journey became the inspiration for the way that she now helps others Inside her business. Now, Meredith and I are part of an entrepreneurial group that I'm just so thrilled to be a part of. And I'm so happy that I met her. And when I met her there, I knew that she would make a great guest on my show. So we're going to launch into that episode right now. Listen close. There are just a lot of really great takeaways. So here we go my conversation with Meredith Walensky of Inner Compass Health. Hi there!
1: Hi, Karen. Happy New Year. Happy
0: New Year. I'm so glad we have this opportunity to get together.
1: Yeah, me too. I'm really glad that we're able to have this
0: time. Fantastic. So I did a little um, reviewing of your website, so I have a little bit of a framework of what you do, and I think it's just going to be so great for um, the teachers that listen to my podcast and just anybody. I have I'm sure other people in fitness disciplines and healthcare disciplines that are going to really benefit from hearing from you and just all that you're about and what inspired you to start your business. And, you know, I, it's no, I guess I'll share with, with um, the listeners that we are part of an entrepreneurial group. And so I have an opportunity in that way to learn about what you do kind of in that space as well. So I have, I guess, maybe a little bit of inside information that you work with people one-on-one. So I'm just really excited to give um, people a chance to get to know you and to find out uh, for myself a little more about, you know, what you touch on a little bit when, when you go on to Google and look you up a little bit about your background. And, you know, it sounds like you have a personal story that really was the catalyst to you, leaving what sounded like Um, a pretty intense job. So I want to get into all of that. So I first want to, I guess, just thank you for, for being on the show and we can um, we can dive right in if you're, if you're ready. (laughs) Thank
1: you so much. I am ready.
0: Okay. Awesome. So I always think a nice place to start is with, um, you know, how somebody got on the path they're on. And so you know, I don't know where you want to start with that. Although my guess is you probably have an origin story of sorts kind of ingrained in your mind. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into what you do? And then from there, we can share what it is that you do. And it'll be a nice segue into that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So Definitely an origin story. I did not plan on becoming a health and wellness coach. That was not in my life plan. <laughs> <laughs> um, I studied environmental studies. <clears throat> I was really involved in environmental advocacy and went to law school in order to do environmental law. Wow. Okay. Up, yes. A very different sphere. Um, And up until about three years ago, I was practicing as an environmental attorney, doing litigation, um, really working at this incredible firm that was bringing large lawsuits on behalf of public entities uh, for against corporations who were doing bad things, who were polluting waters, polluting the land. We were bringing a bunch of climate change lawsuits, and I was doing this work
0: that I believed was my yeah. calling at the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure on some level it was probably really rewarding and was fulfilling to you. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, I I felt like I was doing this work in the world that I still believe needs to be done. I don't yeah. think that I was the right person for it. It was the right fit for me, but um, it was uh, work that was deep to my heart. Yeah. Um, the thing was, I was sick. I was really sick. I was dealing with uh, very bad anxiety, chronic migraine. Um, in the last probably five or six years of practicing, I did not have a headache free day.
0: I mean, oh, I, I thought you could say five or six months, but you said okay. five or six years. Yes. So I I, that <laughs> is telling alone about how long people will tolerate, right? Yeah, it's
1: it's interesting. I mean, I was trying. I I was seeing every practitioner I could find. I went to doctors, I went to energy practitioners. I tried everything I could um but and at that time I really saw my problem as being the migraines, right? I thought everything's fine and just I have these migraines and Uh, There's nothing I can really do about it and I don't want to miss my life. So I'm just going to keep barreling through my life, pushing through to show up, to do the work I want to do, to have the life I want to have. Um, And I was suffering, but I didn't know there was really another option. And um, about three years ago now, actually very close uh, to three years ago, I made the decision that I needed to, to pause. I needed to try something else. I I had really come to the end of the road and um, I needed to figure out something else. So I decided to go on medical leave and I took a few months off.
0: And And at that point, had you made any relationship to the job being a contributor to your physical symptoms?
1: You know, what I knew was that stress is one of the triggers of a migraine. And I had a stressful job. But what I believed then, and I still believe now, is that the job wasn't the root of the problem. It was just one of the triggers. Um, But I was sensitive to foods. I couldn't eat onion, garlic, gluten, a whole list of foods. I was sensitive to movement. I was sensitive to weather patterns. Um, I had this anxiety that was kind of mulling around in the background and a whole host of other symptoms that they kind of lump into chronic migraine. but I, I did. I knew the job wasn't helpful. I didn't want to let it go. <laughs> and um I will say, just in working with people, what I find is that I, you know it is those motivated, dedicated people who are who, who don't want to let it go because it matters to them. It matters to them to do what they're doing, and they have a vision of what they want their life to look like. You know, we don't want to slow down. We don't want to stop.
0: Right. And I almost feel like when you're working in an area where you were working, there's almost like I, I'm willing to give up a part of me for the bigger cause, for the greater good, because I still believe in that.
1: Absolutely. Both in the cause and in the culture of practicing law. You yeah. know, uh, in that culture, there's just a lot of willingness to sacrifice our health, our lives, these really critical aspects of, um, you know, our health and our lives. So yes, so I took this time off, finally. And in that time, I really devoted myself to health and balance. I uh, worked on a gut repair diet. I started this program called brain retraining, which is a neuroplasticity program. um, That that was truly foundational and amazing. Um, And I was just moving through my days in a new way where I was uh, committed to taking care of me, which frankly was a foreign language, right? To really give myself the space to say, I'm going to listen to what I need today. I'm going to really take care of me. Um, And in a matter of months, I got better than I ever thought I could. Like, uh, I just transformed my life. And it wasn't just Uh, being out of physical pain. It was the experience of that anxiety calming down, this sense of joy and presence in my life, and this um, deeper empowerment over how I wanted to show up in my life, in the world, in my body, that
0: I didn't know was possible. Okay, so You need to stop here for a moment because you're kind of glossing over this massive transformation. And and I, who sort of consider myself well-versed in these areas, I'm like, holy cow. (laughs) Um, So I want to hear a little bit more about this brain retraining because I sort of feel like that was probably pivotal in reshaping the way you look at the world. And at the same token, I feel like I want to know a little bit more about, can you sort of give me a sense of what your day looked like when you were in this new life of not having your job? I mean, obviously the biggest thing is you're not working. Give me an idea though, because you can still be in that scenario where you're not working, but you're just laying on the couch for now 19 hours a day. The the internal motivation is missing and all the Neurons aren't firing. So, what did your day look like? What were you doing when you were yeah?
1: That's a great question.
0: Um, so my
1: days looked like I would sleep until my body wanted to wake up.
0: Okay, I was- that, that in and of itself is a big
1: one. I bet. Yeah. So you know that that might be nine o'clock. It didn't. It wasn't usually at that point noon. But if that's what my body wanted, I was giving that to my body. Um, I was doing the brain retraining practices. They recommend you spend about an hour a day when you do these. this brain retraining program I selected. There's a whole bunch and I'm happy to share more about them because they are truly transformational. Um, like
0: meditation, just give me a little taste of like what that looks <coughs> like and we can talk about it more.
1: Yeah, so brain retraining is based on the science of neuroplasticity. So until relatively recently in neuroscience, they thought that the brain basically developed to a certain age right. and then stopped. That's it. Right. That's it. Our brains are the way they are. If you damage a part of the brain, it'll never come back. And, and that's really how neuroscientists understood the brain. And in the last 20 years, there have been huge developments in brain science that showed that that's just false, right. that we continue to actually create new neurons, the cells right. in the brain, and that the way the neural the neural networks... It's hard word to say, fire actually shifts over time. When I think about it from the perspective of not a scientist, it makes a lot of sense, right? I uh, just traveled to Brazil and I didn't know any Portuguese and then I learned Portuguese. So in order to be able to speak enough to get around that city, I had to develop new neural pathways of how to understand and associate and move through the world. Well, just like we can learn a new language, our brain can learn to create new associations Mm -hmm. between things that may cause a stress response Mm -hmm. or or trigger any sort of reactivity or not trigger that reactivity. Mm -hmm. And so the idea in brain retraining is that it is possible for our brains to kind of become Mm overreactive. My parents just built a new house. And when they put the alarm system in, the alarm just kept going off like intruder, intruder, right? Just randomly, we'd be sitting on the couch. Um, and the brain can do that too, right? The alarm network in the brain can just get over triggered such that it's responding to sense or foods or right. emotion or things that it shouldn't be responding and creating a stress response. Right. The underlying idea in brain retraining is if we can get ourselves out of the stress response, We can get ourselves out of fight or flight and back into that parasympathetic state, which obviously yoga is one way people do that. Um, Then we're actually creating the ecosystem in our body where it can heal itself. Because when we're in fight or flight, our body is focusing on protecting us from an external stressor or an internal stressor like a virus, right? But we're in that parasympathetic rest, digest, heal state. Our body can actually spend its resources taking care of us. And Got so it. the basic understanding of brain retraining is that it is creating tools to create these new neural associations. So your brain isn't going into this reactive mode.
0: Okay. So what does that look like like in your days? What were you doing? Right. So they have different brain retraining programs have
1: different uh activities, actions that they make you do, but they're usually some sort. Of meditative state with a predetermined script that you're saying to yourself. Maybe you're you're in meditation. Maybe you're doing a memory or a future visualization. But you're basically using your capacity to control your focus of attention to create a feeling of calm and safety and joy in your body to to break the reactivity to whatever the stress uh, trigger is. Got it.
0: Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So you were getting up kind of when your body clock went off, you were doing some of these meditations and and that kind of thing. And then what else? I was preparing food for myself. Mm -hmm. I was maybe going for
1: a walk with a friend, Mm -hmm. but in the beginning, I didn't have a lot in me. What Mm -hmm. I realized was I had been working, you know, a 70 hour a week job. But what I really had in in me at that moment, because I was, I had been ill at that point for years, right? I think most people aren't quite at the level of of system burnout that I was at, Um, but I didn't have a lot in me. I was resting a lot. Um, The day would just fall out from under me in a certain way if I just prepared my meals, did my meditation uh, or brain retraining practices, maybe saw a friend, I would find the day was over. And it kind of shocked me at yeah. that point in the beginning, um, right. how little I actually needed to do in a day. And, and that was a reflection of where my body was. Right. Um, and then as I started to heal and started to feel better, then I started to fill my days more. Um, And a lot of that was just doing the things I love, right? So it might be hiking with a friend. It happened to be during the pandemic. So (laughs) I had some limitations in the things I could do, um, but just really uh, allowing myself to do restorative activities, whatever they were, until I was starting to feel myself come back online in a a deeper way.
0: Got it. Now, when you left, you know, from like a practical standpoint, did you have a specific amount of time that you had taken off work? So you were sort of in this phase feeling good that you were healing. And at the same time you had like a time frame within which. Yeah. You- so I, um,
1: I actually left my job because as we discussed earlier, I did know that my specific job as a litigator was a highly stressful environment. And I knew that at that point, I was going to come back to environmental law and policy, but I was going to do it a slightly different way. So I knew that that specific job was probably not going to support me. And I wanted to give myself a little bit of leeway. Um, And I had at that point about six months of leave of medical leave that I had been awarded so I thought that I would have those six months and then I had this idea that in six months I was going to get magically better and travel the world for six months or something you know some pie in the sky idea because I like to um, you know dream <laughs> <laughs> and then I was planning on coming back to same profession slightly different job you know rested and renewed and ready right. um so at about that 6 month mark I started to think about what I wanted to do, what I what I really wanted to do next. I was feeling so much better. I was not 100% healed. Um, but I was having days where I was not in pain, right? As opposed to, you know, always being in pain. I was just noticing Uh, The brain fog and all of these other aspects were calming down. My my sensitivities to foods were starting to reduce, things like that. Um, And in that time, I really actually kind of started to get angry. (laughs) This anger came out in me, Karen, um, which was that I had spent close to a decade and thousands and thousands of dollars trying to get better. And not one person had said to me, do you know that you actually have everything you need in you to heal? Mm. No one said that. I I was waiting for somebody to fix the thing that was broken in me, right? I was waiting for a healer to come along with a pill or a tool or something and fix me. And in those six months, this I get emotional when I think about it still to this day. This light bulb went off. That was about that empowerment. That was wow! I actually can change my brain. Mm -hmm. I actually can change the physiological responses in my body. Yeah, I have the tools.
0: Yeah, and it's it's interesting because every person you went to probably saw you through the lens of the tools that they have to give people. So. Right. You know, I can't I mean, maybe someone more in the naturopath arena might say, and you can also listen to yourself. However, they're also going to probably, you know, share a number of techniques and different potions and lotions and teas and all of that kind of stuff. uh, Absolutely. First, rather than. Absolutely.
1: I I The anger was not at any specific individual. I really started to understand exactly what you're saying, Mm. that people are here to help and they have the modality available to them to give you. But where was the person who Mm. said, I believe you have what you need and that you have a puzzle to put together and I'm going to support you in putting that puzzle together so you can create the habits that are supportive to you so that you can learn the tools to actually calm your nervous system and you can change the way you relate to yourself and you can change the way you relate to your job. I'm here to help you think about what you wanna do next. Mm -hmm. I'm here to help you have the tools to do it yourself.
0: Where was that person? So do you think that if you encapsulate that type of approach, that that would land within the neuroscience realm in terms of empowering somebody by educating them as to their ability to change? It's almost like saying to a person who's in depression, who's in Mm -hmm. this heavy duty clinical depression, do you know that you can actually change the way you view the world, which will change your experience of it? You can do that. And I can show you how, if I give you some of the mechanics of how the brain works and the exercises you can do to leverage its ability. So that specific neuroscience approach is what these
1: brain retraining programs are doing. And there are many of them out there. And just in case there's some listeners out there who want to know about them, I'll just list off a few that I um, have a relationship with. And those are the dynamic neural retraining system, DNRS. Um, And I can send you links, Karen, to some of these afterward. Um, There is the Gupta program, um, and there is also Dr. Kathleen King's uh, Regulate and Primal Trust program. Um, There are many others, but those are three of the biggest players out there, and they're they're amazing programs, and they're focusing on brain retraining. Mm -hmm. But what I realized in my process was that brain retraining was a piece of the puzzle. Understanding mindset, understanding my relationship to my brain and my mind was a piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. It was not my complete puzzle, right. right? And who was the person who looked at the puzzle? Who was the person who saw me as a heart, a mind, a body, a soul, and wanted to create the container where I figured out how to move into true health? Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There is not, there wasn't that person. I didn't know that that person existed at the time. And I, I wanted to become that person that, and the more that that's how I ended up where I am. And and I, at first I was focusing on illness and chronic illness, but the further I got away from my illness, the more I understood something which is that my migraines were not the problem. They were the symptom of a deeper problem. And the deeper problem was a way of relating to my environment where I was giving my everything to everyone. I was not listening to my body. I was burnt out. And that's why I started to really talk about burnout because I think migraine was the way Mm. that my body showed me. Showed
0: you what? Burnout showed you burnout. Right. Yeah. and It's almost in a way like a scream for help. It's like, I'm screaming at you that you really need to listen. And that's why when you said five to six, I kept thinking you were going to say months. And when you said years, I'm thinking, wow, five to six months. And I can imagine people listening to this. There will be people who have back pain or migraines or stomach upset or insomnia or anxiety, depression night sweats, whatever it is, you know, and it's like your body will keep sending you those messages until you listen. And I think what you describe going to different people is the natural response. It's sort of not the natural response to say, well, I'm not the victim here. I'm the answer or the answer lies within me to be at the control board at the dashboard of all of this.
1: Absolutely, Karen. I think that we in our society think about a health issue as the standalone problem that you go to the expert and they fix. And sometimes that is what it is. Sure. Right.
0: You have a broken leg, you have a broken arm.
1: You yeah. Have broken arm. And, 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 and there, I am in no way a person who issues modern medicine, right? Like I absolutely believe there are moments where that is what is needed. But when we're talking about these kinds of chronic issues, whether those are physical, mental, emotional, I I do believe that we're talking about a systemic imbalance. And the question is, how do we get back to true health and balance? Not Mm -hmm. how do I fix this symptom of the broader problem?
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you say this because I'm rereading for like the third time, um, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Dr. Joe Desenza. Yeah, you You've read that book, I'm sure. And it's just so interesting because a lot of what you're saying ties in so well conceptually with this idea of we are ourselves, which is a basket of belief systems and frameworks and ways that we view and interact with the world. And in so many ways, The problems that we have are related to that. So his whole premise in the book of is, is if you can just stop being yourself, which sounds ridiculous, but in a way it's like, that's where the secret lies. You have to sort of break that dependency. It seems with how you view yourself and who you are up until this point, unless of course, everything's going swimmingly, then proceed. Right. But I think it sounds like what you're saying is when things aren't proceeding swimmingly, the problem really is within yourself and you have the power to change it.
1: Yes. And I and I and we have focused a lot in our conversation on the like brain retraining uh, mindset part of it. But I also just want to bring in this whole other universe of things that are hard to change, which are habits. Right. Right. And so I, you know, I went and became a health coach and part of what you learn in the training to become a health coach is the science of habit change. So yes, we have to learn how to change our mindsets, but we also have to learn how to change our habits. A lot of folks know I need to be sleeping. I need to be eating differently. I, you know, I need to start engaging with my boss differently, but I don't know how to change the habit. Well, that's a whole other yeah. set of, of, of um, steps and understandings that we don't learn, right? In school, no one teaches us how oh, to yeah. change our habits. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me. So in these different aspects of that come together is re- really what I'm referring to when I refer to that puzzle. That is what is balance? What is health looking like for any individual person? I do not subscribe to the idea that health is a thing that we all do the same way. Three right. meals a day and eight hours of sleep at night, that might work for you, but I can't tell you it works for you. And the only way you know what works for you is you're listening to your body, which mm-hmm. is another piece that is fundamentally missing. in so many of the people that I work with, they don't right. know how to listen. So right. that this, this skill of listening And then the skills that are required to actually make the changes, whether that's the habit change, whether that's the mindset change, whether that's the relational change.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that listening part. Um, And I can so relate to that because, you know, I sort of feel like for my own life, I've become very steeped in the whole um, idea of breaking the habit of being myself. So a lot of times when I hear myself, going down a certain path in what I'm saying, or when I feel nervous knots in my stomach or something, I'm giving myself that verbal reframing or that verbal coaching to try to, it's okay. Just get back on, you know, get back on track, whatever it is. So it sounds like what you're saying is you almost have to lean more into yourself as the coach of yourself. Yes. One of the
1: biggest differences between being a coach or a mentor or a teacher is that as a coach, my job is to actually more often ask the right questions.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Help you get to the answer, than to give you the answer yourself. Now I might give you. Information that helps sure. you get to the right answer, or I might help give you tools that help you create that answer. But yeah. it's more about helping people access their truth, their wants, their desires than a teacher, for example, or a mentor who's usually helping you go down a certain path.
0: Right. Right. So, okay. So you've sort of alluded to your work with with individuals, and you talked about getting certified as a health coach. Tell me. Is that sort of chronologically where things went? You you decided you weren't gonna go back to the corporate world and you went into becoming a health coach. So tell, tell me more about how that morphed. Yeah,
1: so I, I was asking this question, kind of who, where is this person who really supports people when they're on the path, when they're ready to make this life change? And I didn't think it existed. Actually, I didn't know that the thing the word health coach was a thing. I didn't know that certification existed. And I started to create my own program based on body, mind, emotion, all these pieces together that I was going to coach people. And I didn't know it existed. And in talking to people about this work, I wanted to do someone said, Oh, do you know that there's these health coaching programs? It's a thing. And, uh, you know, my mind kind of exploded at that moment, realizing it existed. And, and, um, So then I went and I found a health coaching program um, and I got certified as both a health and life coach uh, through the Health Coach Institute. And that is where I learned, as I was saying, the, the science of habit change, but also the skill of being a coach of stepping back and asking the questions to help people get down to what their truth is, to what they want to do, to motivating them, right? So often we know we need to do, but what's lacking is the motivation. Well, that's a skill, right? It's helping people tap into their internal motivation, direct their compass in the right place they have that. So that's where I got that, those pieces. um, And then I use that in creating my program.
0: Got it. So tell me a little bit about what your program looks like. Like what's the experience of someone when they work with you? What, what does that look like?
1: So right now I am working, uh, one-on-one with folks doing a 12 week, 90 day program. Mm -hmm. And in that program, we meet once a week for approximately an hour, uh, starting the first session is all about the visioning. It's all about, Really getting clear on what's not working, but what what do you want? where Where are we focusing on going and getting clear on what the goals are and starting to uh, create that future? as a thing that exists, that we're going to start moving towards, Mm -hmm. right? Because what we often do is when we're dealing with the problems, all our focus is on what's not working. So that first set, that first session is all about resetting the compass to where we're going. What are we creating together? Mm -hmm. And then in the next 10 sessions, what we do is create space. I'll come in with information, a different topic that we'll discuss every week, working through these different areas I've brought up to you, right? The body, which encompasses the habit change things like that the mind the heart the emotional connective space and then the soul which is really where I talk about contribution and purpose um bringing those different pieces in bringing the nervous system pieces in bringing the science of burnout in because as i said i'm focusing more on burnout so i will share a little bit of information um and then we will focus on what's working and what's not working and that might be morning routines that might be uh, productivity at work. It might be something to do with diet, right? It, and, it, and it really depends on what that person is dealing with that week. And so each week they're coming back, they have accountability. We're seeing what's working and what's not working through that experimental curiosity-based lens to continue to, to make it work. We're We're creating action steps based on my understanding of the science of habit change so that we actually are creating action steps that get done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just on a side, I think one of the most interesting things I see is that when we want to make a change, we usually want to make this giant change all at once. And we have this perfectionistic, incredibly intense goal for ourselves. We try it out, we keep it up for a few days, maybe, and then we inevitably fail because it's this huge change. And then we get mad at ourselves and feel bad about ourselves. And then we just can't even get back on the wagon and we give up, right? right? That's kind of intuitively how people try and make change. But through this 12-week program, we are creating incremental change so that it solidifies, so that it becomes part of your habits. So by the end of this three-month program, people look back and they can't even believe where they were at the beginning because things have been changing so slowly that they forget. I love going back and sending people to read their notes from the beginning of the sessions because they just—they sometimes are like, "I said
0: that." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's so awesome. So, what kinds? When you say burnout, um, do you mean like when I hear burnout, I think of like corporate burnout, like someone's working at a job. Is that what that looks like? Are there other ways that people might be burnt out?
1: That's a great question, Karen. So, actually, the World Health Organization has defined burnout. As, and they think of burnout specifically in the context of work, right? That burnout is a work condition. And most of the research that has been done to date, um, scientific research has been studying burnout in the context of work. And certainly burnout at work is a huge problem right now. In 20, in last year, uh, the number one reason that people left their job was reported as burnout. So absolutely, I think a lot of burnout is happening in the workspace, but I, for the life of me, cannot figure out why you would be able to get burnt out at work, but you can't be a mother of three and get yeah. burned out there. Like, sure, sure. Doesn't make any sense. Logically, right. I, I think burnout um, is definitely exacerbated by certain work environments, but I think you can burn yourself out in any Aspect of your life and usually the mindsets and the habits that people are exhibiting, such as believing that self-care is selfish or putting everyone's needs before their own, are not just happening in the office, they're also happening at home. So
0: yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah, totally. I, you know, it's funny, I was thinking as you were talking, I remember about three months ago, um, Sean Mendez, he's like a popular singer of the millennial age. He basically one day went on his Instagram and he's like, I'm out, I'm not doing this anymore. I need to take a break. And he canceled his tour. Justin Bieber did the same thing. And I I don't know if you remember, but Justin Bieber ended up with um, some kind of aphasia in his face and he thought it was related to stress. I remember I watched Megan Trainer an interview with her on the Chris Wallace show on CNN. And she described right after that, all about the bass music uh, song came out she catapulted like exponentially overnight. And she showed a clip on the interview of her on the Today Show. And she was supposed to go to the Grammys that night. So she was on the Today Show to speak about who was being nominated, blah, blah, blah. And she was watching herself on the Chris Wallace show, the clip that he was showing. And when they stopped showing the clip, she she turned to him and she said, right after I did that spot, I went in the bathroom and I threw up and I thought I was in a full-blown heart attack. Like that's how much panic I had. So when I think about burnout, I think of those scenarios too. It's not just, as you say, the person at work, who's taking on too much, who's working, you know, 15 hour days. It's it's like the body's reaction to whatever's happening, which in those cases, I mean, Justin, I mean, those happen to be all entertainers, but um, those are good situations. They're popular. They're making money. And yeah. yet for whatever reason, their perception of themselves is a disconnect with what people see them at, whatever it is, performance anxiety, new level, new devil, whatever it is. And she, I couldn't believe I watched the clip and she was describing, she was like almost had to get rushed to the hospital. She was, yeah, so I totally see that. And I think that you bring up a good point. And so do you see people then that, you know, in your practice who are coming from the corporate path and other paths What is is like the profile of your folks look like? So the
1: profile varies. I I do work with folks who are corporate folks. Um, I work with entrepreneurs. I also work with some artists, um, some musicians. Uh, I also work with uh, folks who don't have a job in the way we like to think of a job who yeah. are doing yeah. maybe uh one of my clients um is a mom. One of my clients, you know, she volunteers. People do different types of things. Uh, one of the foundational researchers of burnout said that the people most likely to get burnt out, and I think I kind of alluded to this in the beginning, are the people who are committed, are dedicated. Mm-hmm. And we can be committed and dedicated to things even when we're not getting paid to do them.
0: Yeah. Right. So, um,
1: yes, a lot of the folks I work with are corporate professionals or artists, but uh, folks I work with don't even have to have uh, formal employment in order to be dealing with these types of issues because working to put ourselves first, right, working to create self-care is something that we need to do regardless of whether it's our jobs that are creating the problem. Yeah,
0: no, for sure. And it's interesting when you said committed, I mean, I sort of hear committed and I think, well, isn't it a good thing to be committed? Like we want to be committed. And then I'm thinking, you know, sometimes I can also hear committed and think type A perfectionism or wanting to have so much control over everything that you can't let anybody else do it. So does that what you mean by, you know, people that are, maybe taking commitment to the nth degree. So it's causing them a problem. It's becoming a problem for them and leading to burnout. Like what what is that committed really? When, when does committed kind of cross the line and become problematic? Because I think most people would want to be committed to their goals and their dreams and good habits. Is there something that goes awry sometimes with that? That's
1: such a good question. I think it's not about whether being committed is good or bad. Certainly, I think that we do want to be committed and we want to be living lives that feel motivating and purposeful so that we create that commitment. I think it's about when our commitment, our dedication to certain things is so powerful and so dominant that we're actually cutting off that listening and that commitment to our own selves to taking care of ourselves and in this culture that we live in where things move so fast where we're expected to get so much done where we place such a premium on progress Mm. productivity and success that care starts to fall off from under us and I cannot tell you how many people I have talked to that when we get down to it fundamentally believe that taking care of themselves is selfish That saying no to people in order to take care of themselves is selfish, is wrong, right? And maybe they don't realize they think that (laughs) until they start to dig in deeper. So yes, I think commitment is a wonderful thing. I think that people who are the most committed are the most susceptible to reaching that place where you get out of balance and need to start to look inside and reorient how they prioritize.
0: Yeah and when you just said the belief that what did you say the belief they
1: believe- oh, the belief that taking care of yourself that saying that saying no or yeah. self care is selfish.
0: Yeah and see that's where i see that connection to being yourself like you have to break that link because isn't that belief that they have ingrained in something they were told when they were younger some they're making some correlation there's some relationship in their mind between well if i say no and put myself first then it means i'm a bad person i'm selfish like do you have to somehow decouple those pieces yeah,
1: absolutely. So uh, when we talk about ch- making changes, there's kind of these three levels of changes. There's habit change, right? There's belief change, and then there's identity change. Ah, okay. So at the top level is that habit change. It's kind of the easiest place to get to, right? I, I just worked with a client uh, yesterday. Not yesterday. Today is Monday. I worked with a client on Friday. Who was trying to keep his cell phone out of the bedroom so that when he laid in bed at night, he wasn't on his phone, doom scrolling, um, and then waking up in the morning and going right to his phone, right? Right. So working on disconnecting from the phone, habit change, Right. right? And that's probably the easiest place to get started. And that's usually where we start to make changes, how we're eating, how we're doing things. That's usually where we start. Sometimes we might find we can't make the habit change because underneath that habit is a belief like you just discussed, this belief of if I take care of myself, that I'm selfish, you have to decouple that belief in order to make certain changes, right? And so then we need to get down into the belief work. And that's where some of the most exciting coaching comes in, right? Is helping people see the belief, decouple the belief and create new beliefs and having the tools to do that. It's really uh, exciting and fun. And then beneath that is that identity shift, right? Not just, I believe I can take care of myself, but then the shift over time to, I am actually a person who takes care of myself.
0: Yeah, that's that gives me chills. That's like magic because, yeah, i I could see that being, it's kind of like, the the volcano and you have the part where the lava is coming out but if you go all the way down to the base of the volcano that's where the lava comes from and unless you really get to the source of it you can change the lava coming out of the top possibly you can divert it you can put a lid on it but it's still going to be coming up from the bottom unless you get to the root cause and And those beliefs, um, I've done some episodes on money mindset, and I know money is a topic where people often have a lot of beliefs. I'm not good with money. I can't handle money. Um, I'm not good at saving money. I'm not good at math. So therefore, I can't ever invest anything because I can't, you know, all of these things. Um, So yeah, I can imagine that must be for your clients when they get to that root belief and they can see themselves differently, that must be where real change can begin. Like then it must just be like the snowball is going down the hill and they just are like, oh my God, like you say, they look back and they go, I can't believe I wrote that just three months ago. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I think the reality of change is not linear. So it's almost like you don't necessarily start at the bottom or the top of what we just discussed and go in one direction because it goes both ways. Because also habit change, is sneaky, right? Mm-hmm. If you over time start to put these little habits in chain in place where you are taking care of yourself and suddenly you look around and no one's rejecting you, suddenly your, your kids are still alive even though you're taking time for yourself every day or your boss hasn't fired you even though you're taking a lunch break. Those little habits are actually creating points of uh, information for your brain about truths of the world. Yes. And so sometimes we start at the belief place and we unpack the belief, and sometimes we go all the way down to the identity place and we unpack the identity. But a lot of times, what we do is make changes in our habits that over time actually just percolate down like rainwater, yes. right, into who we are. And suddenly, you turn around and you say, "Oh, I am a person who takes care of myself." Whoa! I didn't even know I was right. right. So. I think it can happen different ways. And that really comes back, Karen, to what I was saying earlier, which is the puzzle, which is that nobody goes in this one path the -hmm. same way, the same changes, the same kinds of changes and creating space for people to go in this spirally, curvy, nonlinear journey to whatever balance looks like for them and let that be okay, right? That is fundamentally what underpins my approach to what true health and balance looks like and how you create that is not that I'm going to give you an idea of how you get there. Everyone starts a belief work. Everyone has to do the habit change. It's let's show up. Let's give you the information. Let's give you the tools and let's ask you the right questions Mm -hmm. so that you can find your authentic path, whatever Mm -hmm. that is.
0: Yeah. And I love the way, you know, when you were talking about, starting with the habits. It sounds to me like that's typically something that people can sink their teeth into in the nearer term. And maybe in your calls, it's a lot around just kind of keeping them on track with the habit. And it's sort of like you probably have the knowledge that the more they stick with the habit, eventually the belief is going to shift, even if they don't know that. And Oftentimes, I know when I work with coaches, I can't often see my progress like they can because I'm me and they're not me. (laughs) And so they have a very different perspective. So do you feel like starting with those habits, especially for someone who's really digging in like, no, I am like this and I don't have the money or I can't learn or blah, 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 whatever it is, if they're so hanging on to that, it's like, okay, well, let's start with this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's this idea in coaching that the more change someone needs, the smaller change they're ready for at that moment. Right. So mm-hmm. start with something so small that you can't fail so small that you just start the wheels turning yeah. towards change. And then, like you said, it can snowball over time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's a great suggestion. And so for people listening who feel like this is resonating with them and they want to at least start with some small changes, is there a place, I mean, when you kind of describe all the areas you work with someone on, it sounds like, you know, there's all these different spokes on a wheel, have whatever metaphor you want to use. Is there a particular area that you often suggest people start with that has been shown to be something that people can generally get some good traction with?
1: That's a great question. And again, I allow the program to be highly specified to the Mm. person. But usually we start, especially if someone is experiencing burnout, overwhelm anxiety they're like spinning they're overwhelmed usually in those places the first place that I like to start is with some sort of um practice that's going to calm the nervous system a little bit now if I get someone in who's more burnt out in the can't get anything done can't focus uh can't it's procrastinating feeling kind of helpless and like they can't do anything right with them, We're going to start probably more in a habit change around perhaps giving them a bigger break in the middle of the day or uh, changing their bedtime routine or something more specific in that way. So what I would say is if someone is in a moment where they're like, oh, I need to make change and they want to make it on their own, I would say, take a step back and think about what what is the biggest problem area right now? And what is the tiniest step you could make, take towards that to make a change this week? So for example, I talked to a client who was getting in the habit of working until 10 o'clock at night. And then at that point, then they needed to unwind, then they would watch TV, then all of a sudden it would be 1am and they weren't getting to bed. So when I said, what change do you want to make? She said, I think I need to stop working at seven o'clock. And I said, that is a great goal, but you're not doing that next week. I don't, that's just not happening, right? So what if we stop working by 9 p.m. next week? That's what I mean by the smallest possible change, right? Maybe 9 p.m. doesn't feel so sexy. Like that's still much later than you want. But when I ask her, can you stop at 9 p.m. next week? She's like, yes, yes, I can do that. And that's the first step. The first step is the thing that when you imagine doing it, you say, yes, I can do that. No doubt. That's where you start.
0: Yeah. And I think that that is a perfect example of why it's so valuable to work with a coach, because the person oftentimes can't see a way out of the problem. And until you have that like objective, skilled third party, second party, whatever it is, that's where you can start to really make progress because you have that other person giving you a, a another perspective because we're kind of just in our own heads all the time. The other thing I wanted to ask you, especially since your journey involved leaving your job Mm -hmm. um, so that you could literally just give your body a full rest. What about the person who can't do that? Like whether it's maybe their burnout is related to their family. So it's not like they can say, I'm going to go stay in a hotel for the next 90 days. You guys all figure this out. So how can someone balance you know, I, I can re- I'm just thinking like when I used to go to teacher training, some of my first teacher trainings, and they would be such amazing like experiences, and people would have all these revelations, and we would have so many people at teacher training that'd be like, I'm going home and getting a divorce, I'm going home and quitting my job, I'm going home and the yoga studio. And we would be like, <laughs> No, <laughs> yes, we recognize you're having an amazing experience, and go home and reentry is going to be what it is don't make any big changes you know maybe that's not exactly on point but i guess my thought is if someone is feeling really just against the wall and they can't pull the bandaid off and just go and completely make themselves the center of their own universe is there still a way for them to make progress Yes,
1: I'm so happy you, you mentioned that, Karen. I, I like to say I quit my job so that the people I work with don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> that's a
0: because, good, that's and... a great tagline.
1: I think you should use that. <laughs> Which is to say I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the knowledge or the information or any of the things that could have allowed me to make changes before I got to where I got, right? As I said, my journey was started over a decade before I actually got better. (laughs) So I'm working with folks who are, you know, hopefully not where I am. I'm catching them before they get to the place where they have days where they can't get out of bed. Now, so first of all, Hopefully we start sooner. And when the sooner you start, when you don't wait until you have this illness that is taking over your life, when you're just noticing that things aren't working and you're not sleeping well, and you're always feeling stressed and your stomach is starting to bother you when you start then, then it's a whole lot easier to make change. That's the first thing. The second thing is, even if you're at the end of your rope, even if you've really dug in and you're there. That's when these small changes are most profound. Uh, one of my first clients that I had, who I still work with because she's just wonderful human. One of the first things we ever did together was giving her a 15 minute lunch break. When she came back the next week, you would have thought that we changed her entire life. Wow. Truly, taking. 15 minute, it wasn't just that actually, it was a 15 minute lunch break and not having dinner in front of the TV. Those were the two action steps that week. Wow. Because because she was constantly having information coming at her. She never slowed down in the day. That was a fundamentally earth shattering shift for her. Just taking these spaces, right? So sometimes it's not about a huge change. It's about the right small change that can actually allow for really big things to unfold from there. And then maybe six months down the line, when you have the tools and you have the mindset and you're reoriented in a way that works for you, you do quit your job. That client went on to get a new job that she loves more, but she did that from a place of knowing how to take care of herself, knowing what she was worth and finding what she wanted instead of from a place of desperation, Burnout end of her rope, hoping
0: that the new job was going to save her, which is a fundamentally different place to be. Yeah, of course, and I love that. I, I, um, there's this old movie with Jennifer Lopez that she's in with Matthew McConaughey. I think it's called like "Marry Me" or something, or the no, the Wedding Planner. And yeah, she, right. And I remember in the beginning of that. Movie. She sits down at the TV and she has her little TV table and she sets up because she's like an etiquette person because she's a wedding planner and she sets up this perfect layout in front of the television. And of course the focus is on the fact that she's alone right she's not in a relationship, but I remember seeing that when you were just describing that I could see this person in my mind you know just being in front of the input of the television while you're eating and it does create a different experience of you with your food and it can change your digestion and you know like I I joke around with my parents when I go home because they don't even talk to each other anymore when they eat because they don't want anything to interfere with their drinking and chewing and eating so um when I go home they're always like why are you talking we're supposed to be eating and I'm like oh sorry I forgot there's Rules of engagement around here that have changed since you guys like got to be retired, but they actually just sit there at the table with one another, each you know just eating, and they they have this agreement they're not going oh, to talk to each other to yeah, aid man. their digestion, but to still be in the same space. <laughs>
1: we're, as a culture, pretty bad at just doing one thing at a time. So just eating, I'm like, it is kind of,
0: wow, yeah. that's
1: interesting. Yeah. Maybe you yeah. have to try that just for fun. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I mean, I've, certainly when you look at things like blue zones and all of that, there is an emphasis on eating together because it's a community opportunity, because it's an interaction opportunity. But I think, Maybe, for my mom and dad, they look at all the talking as <laughs> potentially disruptive to their digestion. Oh, gosh, So
1: anyway. right. and I'm thinking of that blue Zone piece about, you know, coming together. and and one of the things I'll just say is so often we find that those, you know, amazing things that make a difference are the things that intuitively we want, right? Just coming right. back to it, when you really start to ask yourself what would feel good, usually people, we'll we'll say, Oh, I want to, you know, take a meal. I want to enjoy company. Like these are these things that make us feel better. We have a lot of wisdom in our body of, of what they are already. And when we give ourselves the space to understand what they are and the willingness to make them a priority, so much can open up from doing that.
0: Yeah, that's great. And, um, I think this is, this is like a great place to kind of wrap this up. I'm, Trying to just kind of keep on my eye on the time for us. Um, and I want to kind of end at a, a moment where it feels like, you know, we've kind of rounded out the discussion for folks. I, I feel like this is kind of a good one. Can you share with us how people can find you? So if people are listening and they're interested in finding out more about how to work with you and more about your programs. Um, if you're on social media, how they can kind of see on a daily basis, the comings and goings of of your work and your thoughts. So share, share, share with us that.
1: So the best way to stay in touch is on Instagram at inner compass health. Okay. Uh, uh, and I have a website, inner it's pretty bare bones, but you can absolutely go there. I'm, uh, the best places Instagram. If you don't have Instagram, you could just email me directly. It's okay. Meredith Walensky coaching at gmail.com. Got it. And I'll include that in the show notes, the link. Great. I can send that over to you.
0: Got it. Um, wonderful. Well, I've just really enjoyed hearing more about what you do. And, you know, when you were talking earlier about the, um, brain retraining. I'd love to talk to you about having you come and do a workshop for my community about that specifically, where you could give us more insight into what those tools are. I think that that would be really fascinating. I mean, a lot of the conversation I have here on the podcast has to do with when you're a yoga teacher, you're part of what you're doing is showing up as yourself, right? And the, mm-hmm. the interactions and the communications and the connection you build with your students comes in large part from your ability to sort of step outside of yourself and your limiting beliefs and really show yourself and make connection. And that sometimes can be challenging if you're always up in your head and always doubtful and you don't have a lot of confidence. And so when you were speaking about that, I thought that would be a really great topic to dive into a little bit more and I think could provide us as yoga teachers with some helpful tools that will help us be better teachers because we'll be able to sort of see past a lot of these limiting beliefs. Absolutely. I would love to. Yeah. So I will definitely regroup with you on that after this. All right. Well, thank you so very much. So today is Monday. This will go up Monday. So a week from today, this will go live. So I'll send you the link. And I just absolutely have loved getting to know this, this part of what you do. And I'm so excited to share this next week with my community. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Karen. This has been really fun. All right. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode. And thank you so much for being part of my community and for spending some time with me here on the show. I wanted to wrap up this episode with just a quick note. I have a brand new recorded workshop workshop page, and I'm really excited to offer you an opportunity to watch recorded workshops whenever you want. I have the first installment of a workshop on the page on the website, and it is a short workshop all about how to give effective cues. And so all you need to do to watch this free workshop is go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, and you'll see the listing in the drop-down for recorded workshops. When you click that page, you'll see on that page, the link to sign up to watch that recorded workshop. I'll be adding more workshops in the future to this page. And it's a way that you can access educational and growth information for teachers without having to make a workshop at a particular time. I love to get together with teachers live, both in person and of course online, which is where I'm doing most of my interaction with teachers right now. However, I appreciate that sometimes people can't make a workshop or the time doesn't work for them or they're in a different time zone. So I want you to know that this page can be a resource for you so that as you're out there and you have questions about different things, or you have maybe a half an hour or 45 minutes that you wanna devote to your continuing education as a teacher, you can just go to my website, pull up this recorded workshops page, and there will be resources there for you to take a look at. And all of the workshops that I share are all designed at number one, giving you information and number two, giving you the skills that come from getting that information. It doesn't do you any good if I'm just giving you information on anatomy. If I don't show you how you can use it in your teaching to grow as a teacher, to grow your impact, then it's really not very useful. So all my workshops will have that dual focus, sharing a little bit and then showing you how to apply it. So I hope you'll check that out. If you have any questions or feedback, definitely let me know. Just send me an email, Karen at com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And I look forward to hearing from you. Namaste.